0: welcome to another episode of pat and the fat man we like to talk about movies sports and whatever else we feel like i'm pat and i'm the fat man and today we are hopefully going to be closing out the penultimate war movie of the 1980s red Red dawn Dawn. about the u.s being invaded by communists from everywhere Such a sad story. Coming down the line, folks, coming down to the line. Last we left our heroes, most of them had died. Yes. There are four left. (laughs) Yes. Colonel and Aardvark killed due to Aardvark being a spaz and the Colonel sacrificing himself so that the American tank could finally hit its target, which would be the Russian tank that he was on top of. We have the death of... There was the death of Daryl because of the betrayal. Yeah, we have the death of Daryl at the hands of Robert due to his betrayal. The death of Robert and... Tony. Tony, due to the Russian helicopter attack, took three of the Chinooks or whatever they were. (laughs) I want to say Soviet Hind helicopters. Yeah, three of the Hinds to kill two Wolverines and we are left with four Wolverines left, this being Jet, Maddie, Danny, and Erica. That is where we are. So effectively what what occurs is once the hunter comes in, they they make the capture of Daryl. He leads them to their base. They've got to abandon the base. They go on the run. The hunter manages to set up a trap with food they take the bait he finds them in a box canyon with only one way in or out <laughs>
1: funny enough for you folks that may be watching all these episodes in line you may you know this is like the last time on because <laughs> yeah. this is exactly what we covered on the last one but if for some reason you decided to start at the end hey welcome to the party
0: well and i just wanted to get to where we're you know how buddy how we got to where we're at because it's It's so fast paced in the movie, like you almost lose track.
1: Well, certainly towards the end. Yeah, it was like there was a slow buildup. And then finally, you know, the director's like, crap, we're running out of money. (laughs) We're running out of time and money. We have
0: to cut these scenes really short and fast. Everybody's going to (laughs) die. And so, like, you go from the scene with the choppers directly to, "Okay, they're back at the camp now. They don't even explain the plan. Right, so much so. (laughs) Right, there's there's this scene with Maddie and Erica and Danny, and and he's basically like, "You guys got to run for it, and we'll go create a a distraction. (laughs) Wait till the
1: troops pull back into town. You'll know when that happens, and then you make a run for the border." Yeah, but what about you guys? (laughs) Yeah, there's no
0: explanation of what's going on with him and with Maddie and with uh, Jed. Jed is not even in the scene. Yeah they're not even there. They're <clears throat> Jed's off. Maddie's there. And he's, he basically says, we're all used up. I'm going to stay with my brother and we're no good to you. I guess <laughs> Like <laughs> this all comes at that scene with the Masons where, you know, they're looking to Jed to take these other kids and to smuggle them over to free America. And that's, part of the reason they go and have the the tank battle or whatever and so everything snowballs real quick even though it like takes months like this is supposedly still february right right
1: well we haven't gotten the 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 month card you know shot so mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's still february <laughs> and this is the one time where Erica finally, air quotes, warms up to uh, Maddie saying, you know, we'll all go together. We could all go, you know, and I'll never forget you. Never as long as I
0: live. Yeah. I can't remember what Danny says. Danny says something right at the end of that scene.
1: Danny says, uh, you'll never know who won. And Maddie goes, who
0: will? Yeah.
1: And I suppose that's meant to be a very prophetic line. But I mean, we all remember
0: who wins. But I think it's, it's sort of Maddie saying... We we don't know. Like there's just just gonna be too long. Kind of I don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. Like we've lost so much. Even if we win, we've still lost. Kind of a deal, right? It's very much uh, that is the lot of invaded people. Even if they throw off the oppressor or or whatever the invasion force, they still typically have lost just so much. That, like, even though it's a win, it's kind of like, yeah, did we really win, though? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Did we? That speaks to a lot of the invasions. And let's say the one going on right now, or at least the one the Western media pays attention to (laughs) with with Russia invading Ukraine. Let's say Ukraine wins, quote unquote, wins and Russia pulls out like it's still going to be terrible in Ukraine for a long time as they rebuild everything, rebuild the infrastructure and all that. It's just like Iraq, like when we pulled out, you know, there's a tremendous amount of suffering that occurred while we were there just trying to play peacekeeper. There's not very much to the line in general, but I think it's a pretty good showcase of this kind of feeling that like, even if we win, we didn't really win. Mm-hmm. Which, again, no idea if the director was trying to get that across or, or if he just lucked into it. <laughs>
1: I mean, it's kind of hard, and again, because you said it just happens so quick without a whole lot of background or buildup or any of that. Yeah. So from there, the next thing we see is just um, a picture frame that's covered in snow. And when it's the snow is wiped off, you see a picture of of Jed in a football uniform and you know two cheerleaders next to him. And then Maddie's trying to convince Jed that you know they could they could make it that they've done harder you know jobs harder missions than this you know they just create a diversion and run back to the mountains. Jed kind of just ignores the comment, kind of like I'm not going to dissuade you, I'm not going to convince you, I'm not going to go along with what you say just to make you feel better. I'm just going to move on with what's going on in my head. He's just completely focused on the end.
0: <laughs> yeah, it kind of flows back from the line he told Matt earlier after Arvart. And the colonel died when when Maddie asks, you know, you're getting real short on feelings around here. And he's like, I can't afford them, right? Uh, it's uh-huh. he's just he's in that set place where it's like and at the same time, he's he's sort of accepting the fact that he's lost. He doesn't get distracted with hope. Right. Because
1: then he turns around and he tells Maddie, you know, I love you. And Maddie says, I love you too, Jed. And you know and goes you know it's not easy being brothers Maddie's like yeah no you're right and then that's it like that's the moment that's the man moment uh, between two brothers you know, we're brothers and no matter what this is I wouldn't want to be anywhere else but here with you
0: <laughs> yeah we're gonna go do this thing and all likelihood it's gonna get us killed we're gonna go do it and we're gonna go do it together you can have your hope Maddie but you know this is it <laughs> like I'm gonna get this thing done if we survive good but if we don't We don't take this one last, you know, stab at the heart of the enemy in our town kind of a deal, because this is the end of of Jed's group. Jed, you know, Jed's band is effectively disbanding after he's lost more than half of the of the folks. He's been betrayed. He lost, uh, you know, what was effectively a surrogate leader slash father figure in the colonel. He's lost the kids that were under his command, more or less. And he's just sort of okay. Well, I've been defeated more or less, and I'm going to get this thing done. In my defeat, and maybe we'll make it out, but that's not the priority. The priority is getting this last mission done.
1: Well, the priority is to get these two people out. Yeah, that all of this was for naught because somebody's going to find out. At least two people are going to be saved from this whole thing. Two people from my town are going to be rescued. Yeah, and if those are the the only two people that make it out, then you know at least it was something. Yeah, we couldn't liberate our town. We couldn't do the thing that deep down inside we really knew we weren't going to do, but that's what we were fighting for. And so we're going to save these two people
0: if nobody else. (laughs) That's a little bit of the commentary that comes out of the last conversation between Maddie and Erica and Danny about the somebody's got to survive. Right. Somebody's got to survive and tell people that's Erica and Danny. Right. So from there, now we come to...
1: I guess you could just say where this kind of story was leading to with the Colonel Ernesto Bella. Yeah. He's writing a love letter home to his you know, wife. It's not really a love letter so much as a I'm um, cold and lonely and sad and disillusioned with everything that, you know, I came up here to do and I can't wait to come home. You know, I can't wait to hold you in my arms and hold your black hair and feel the warm sun on my face. And I'm going to resign tomorrow.
0: There's some really amazing lines in this letter that he's writing because you get sort of the full circle of Colonel Bella's thing. There's a revolutionary Nicaragua. Apparently they won in this universe. You know, they take over and now he becomes part of the larger communist Russian communist machine And gets sent to this place, you know, this desolate plateau, or this desolate highland, which is always cold. For a guy coming from Central America, Colorado would be hell. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, I mean, Central America's got mountains, too.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it does, but it's not like Colorado, man. It's not the Rockies, per se. Yeah. (laughs) But imagine... Somebody from Colorado going down to Nicaragua for a while, he'd probably be in hell, too. You know, it's just such a different climate, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? It's Mm -hmm. dry. It's cold. It's bitter. It's windy constantly. And Colonel Bella's been there. In the worst months, right? They invade in September. Right. It's, it's like it's like the worst possible months you could do an invasion in because you've got to deal with the snow and all that. The Russians don't believe in Western Zionist
1: revisionist history, so they're going to exactly attack in winter. Because <laughs> they're better than the Germans.
0: Just so everybody knows, it would be just as stupid to invade America in the winter as it would be Russia. <laughs> I mean we're not quite the same latitude as them but there's plenty of the country that that would be in snow lock.
1: <laughs> well I mean it snows everywhere except for Florida really. <laughs>
0: yeah right exactly
1: (laughs) you cross into georgia from florida and it snows i mean hell it snows in the northern parts of florida too at times so i mean yeah you know if it could snow in northern florida it could snow just about everywhere
0: (laughs) yeah so but yeah bella talks about having you know this house where his shadow never falls talking about him not being home for so long his eternal summer at home that's right and how he just He's so tired. Like, I think that's the line. I am so tired (laughs) is is what he writes. And this is sort of Bella coming to, you know, the conclusion.
1: Of what a prolonged war is like, like an
0: actual war as opposed to an insurgency. Right. He's not a freedom fighter fighting against a corrupt government for his own people. You know, he is a Invader a conqueror I Remember, there's that line earlier in the movie where he tells the russian general that i'm like you i'm a policeman i'm a policeman now like and that's effectively what he is and he's like this is crap <laughs> <laughs> this isn't fun at all <laughs> yeah this isn't fun. i don't feel like a liberator
1: it's like the spectrum opposite of a hippie <laughs> yeah somebody told me revolutions were fun this sucks <laughs> this sucks <laughs> we're the guns we're the
0: bombs (laughs) (laughs) he's been sitting there killing civilians and and making effectively their lives miserable while spouting the you know the communist lie that everything is going to be good and perfect and better and and i think there's a little bit of realization in there that now he has made these people's lives miserable (laughs) and he doesn't really want to do it anymore he would rather be home well also it wasn't
1: just a fast switch over to the communist government style life that they thought it was going to be that winning hearts and minds takes a long time and there's a no surefire way of getting it done because he's like well if you win their hearts and minds and your guy's like no we're just gonna crush them
0: yeah we come down to the end of his letter, and then there are a series of explosions. Yep. <laughs> the best way to end a letter, <laughs> Michael Bay explosions. Uh, yeah. yeah, I will resign tomorrow.
1: <laughs> Boom! <laughs> <laughs> That's like straight out of like '80s action movies. You know, the guy's like, "I was two days from retirement." You uh, know, <laughs> <McBain>! <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, no, sorry, sorry. It's Mendoza. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of like a last action hero. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I was thinking, you know, McBain from The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the first like four seasons, if you put all of the commercials for his movie together, it actually makes the movie like it's it's not very long. It's still only like a minute and a half, but it's the movie. Like it's
1: <laughs> you get the whole plot.
0: <clears throat> <laughs> it <hurts. laughs> it's a fun fact for our audience. If I haven't said it already, I'm pretty sure I have. We've been doing this for four years now. Welcome to season four, folks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, yeah, obviously our heroes, Jed and Maddie, are causing the chaos, blowing stuff up, shooting things, explosions here left and right. They're throwing grenades at guys on second floor buildings and trying to run around while no one's looking in the chaos. And the one lieutenant spots them, you know, scurrying around. Jed and Maddie set up their rocket launchers to hit a communications tower in what looks like a TV trailer. And as they're getting ready to shoot their RPGs, the general... The Russian general pops out, you know, to see what the chaos is about. And that's when I want to say it was Maddie launches his RPG. So it's Maddie. The general's dead.
0: <laughs> and what they hit is a transformer, because that's what causes the bright light is the explosion of the Transformer. Right. If you ever want to see a really cool light show. One went to the Transformer. I want to see the other went to the trailer. Yeah, if you look at uh, if you look up on YouTube, Transformer Fires, it's a pretty solid light show.
1: <laughs> when they, they launched the rocket grenades, the RPGs the lieutenant that was behind was standing right behind him and i guess the thrust from the the rocket hit him in the face and he's he's screaming falling on the ground and whatnot (laughs) because
0: i I thought it was the light from the explosion (sighs) from from the transformer explosion that's kind of what i got from that one
1: either way he was in the wrong place the wrong time and yeah yeah uh,
0: yeah (sighs) and he's like screaming on the ground The other two guys that are with them, Matt and and Jed are not making a lot of noise besides the occasional explosion, which is not near them. They're doing it other places. So they're running around. And what I love is like they're running around, not shooting their gun. And there is tons of gunfire going off. Right. I'm just thinking to myself, who's getting shot? (laughs) Who's shooting at what? Just
1: people just shooting in the dark, things in the dark. (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) And that's the thing where uh, <laughs> Bella runs out and, you know, he's got several other guards who run out with him and they all get shot like in front of him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he pulls his gun out and he's he's looking and he can't find anything to shoot at and you know, kind of yells in frustration. And then finally, uh, Colonel Strel'nikov. Yeah, the, the Russian hunter.
1: Yes, the Russian hunter. And he comes out and he's like, you know, getting his uh, machine gun kind of thing. It was like he just threw on his coat, you know, you'd see his undershirt and
0: everything. It's like the most Russian, Russian undershirt you could possibly imagine. Oh, striped. Yeah. White and blue. White and blue. Not thin, but like not thick either. Stripes, you know, goes all the way up to his neck. I don't know. That's about the most Russian piece of clothing outside of a <laughs> uniform <laughs> that you could come up, at least for a man. <laughs> He's looking around for where our heroes are. He
1: thinks he sees our heroes and our heroes are running out by this train and they get on top of the this cargo train that's carrying munitions like cannons and things like that. And they decide they're going to hide on this moving train behind these old style shell launchers.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're not quite howitzers. They're smaller than that. Right. But they're sing- it's like a single person. It's bigger than a 50 cal but yeah, not quite a mortar launcher either. But you know, it's not the best cover. <laughs> it wasn't great cover and in fact, there were several other things that could have like they jumped on one of the in one of the vehicles. that could have gotten in one of the trucks and just hid in the truck. Right. But the concept is we've caused a lot of chaos and explosions. There's a train going through town. Let's jump on the train and we'll just ride this out of town. They'll never find us. And that wasn't the case. No.
1: The uh, colonel sees them hiding and starts shooting at them, and he gets Maddie, and Maddie falls off the train. Jed jumps off the train, and uh, once the train is passed, that's when the colonel goes looking for him and sees blood on the ground and sees a gun and starts searching behind these crates and barrels, and then Jed steps out from behind cover behind him. And and another one of those, you know, I'm going to have to press the i believe button you know the the y button yeah and and ignore it and he goes you lose commie and then he's just instead of just shooting him, he had to say yo you lose commie and then it seems like they both waited for each other to shoot like it was like a a, a western a standoff draw. yeah so yeah western's dead off you know they're shooting at each other jed's got his sick shooting the other guy's got his machine gun they both get shot yeah <laughs> the colonel dies instantly Jed's able to somehow walk away and pick up Matty and try to carry him off out of the out of the city and as they're walking the other colonel Bella Bella yeah colonel Bella sees him has got his AK drawn on him and he just sees Jed holding Matty and you can just see right there, that's how much he's just lost his taste for battle and blood and whatnot. He he lowers his gun, takes his hand off the trigger and just lets Jed and Maddie uh, wander off.
0: There's this interesting look that occurs between Jed and the Colonel, because there's this, you know, the Colonel comes up to him up on him and jed stops and he's got maddie and you can tell maddie's been shot i mean unless you're looking real close it seems like maddie might be dead right and you can tell he's bleeding too jed is too and so the colonel bell is like okay what do i do and jed's look is like this sort of incredulous hatred at first like I'm, I'm dying here and you assholes are still going to kill me <laughs> and, and my, I've got my brother. And then Bella just like lowers the gun and like motions him on. And there's sort of this like surprised it's the surprise, but like so tired look on Jed's face. And he just goes on with Maddie after that. Right. And we move into probably one of the saddest, if not the saddest scene in the movie. Certainly the, one of the most dramatic uh, death scenes for sure. Yeah, because uh,
1: Jed's carrying him to a playground of all places, a child's playground, you know, and he just keeps talking to Maddie. You know, just hang on. Just hang on. I got you, Maddie. Dad'll be here soon, Maddie. Yeah, he props him up on a park bench. And I got to say here that I'm noticing this as they're talking and, and Patrick Swayze's panting here, you know, Jed's panting here. You really don't notice Maddie breathing all that much. No. Because it hides pretty well in Patrick Swayze's
0: <laughs> breathing. Yeah. You can see, if you look real close, you see both the breaths. You know, because it's cold, right? So you can see their breath.
1: Right. But it's almost layered on top of each other.
0: <laughs> yeah. Swayze basically sits sits down on the bench and, and props Matt. He's still holding Matt, props Maddie against him and says, I can hold you. You know, I'll hold you as long as I can. And then it's, the camera starts to pan out and it's just the snow, snow covered playground. They're sitting on a bench in front of, you know, some swing sets. And a, I don't know what the other thing is. It's a little building, maybe in front of a lake or something.
1: Oh, it's a gazebo.
0: Gazebo. That's what it is.
1: <laughs> Attack the gazebo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, not a gazebo.
0: It pans out. And then almost immediately cuts to the next scene. Right. I like the direction, the cinematography in most of this film, but this was a real misstep in my mind. I thought they should have spent maybe even just two to three more seconds here uh-huh. to give Matt and Jed sort of a full-blown close.
1: Yeah. That old Western-style kind of death scene. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's a long pause of no movement, so
0: that way there's no music. Time stood still, yeah. Exactly.
1: You know, the silence
0: of death motif. <laughs> right. You know, instead, what we get is a quick cutaway (laughs) and I'm like, I don't feel like you did them justice. (laughs) The
1: next scene is, is Erica and Danny climbing over some rocks through the woods and they reach an edge, a cliff edge. And they're looking out over the the great plains, essentially just flat land as far as they could see. Yeah. And Erica goes, we're free now. The part that I have with this is that in a normal movie where people escape to freedom, they escape to, like, you know, people. Like, there are people waiting there right. to save them. To, this is the middle of the plains in the middle of nowhere. If anybody sees you, you know, yeah. that's it. Like, this, you know, supposedly you have to cross the front line. So if anybody sees you, this is, you know, you're not free yet.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, beyond that, it's the wrong direction. Like they need to escape into California because, like, the invasion came up supposedly in the middle of America, right? So they should have come into like Californian cattle country or something, not into the Great Plains because the Great Plains is occupied occupied territory. Let <laughs> me go look at this map.
1: It's ridiculous, Red Dawn map again.
0: You know, it's interesting because that's what Danny says. It's like we're free now. And Erica just says, free. Right. (laughs) It's kind of like being puzzled about what that word means, maybe what it means to her. You know, we're free. What does that mean? Kind of a thing. It's yet another one of those lines that is really good and introspective. And yet, like, again, we get such a quick cutaway. Like, this scene is just so short that it doesn't give any time and there's no real after this like there's one more scene and so it doesn't really give any depth to that comment right but there is a lot of depth there we don't know how long it took them was this days was it weeks did they
1: you know encounter anybody else i mean was this really just them able to just walk over to the free america
0: yeah i mean that ultimately was the plan right distract people enough to think that You know, the Wolverines are still highly active in this area and that's a big strike and then pull enough forces away from, I guess, the front to (laughs) let these two slip through, which, you know, I believe in a general way, two people versus, you know, coming over a mountain range, unless you have one hell of an army, it's going to be tough to catch two people. It really is like unless you have a lot of very specific choke points Mm -hmm. and depending on where they were, there may not have been. There are definitely very specific choke points in the Rocky Mountains. But if you're past those points already then catching trying to catch somebody
1: right but that's the thing like those choke points are the the few avenues that are easiest to get through the rocky mountains yeah otherwise you're going to spend an enormous amount of time energy and resources to try to climb over the rockies right yeah sure if you're doing it that way but then again that only leads to more questions with the way we f- we see Danny and Erica here cuz they're not really haggard looking I mean they look like they just woke up took a shower broke camp and walked <laughs> over to the great plains
0: yeah I- <laughs> It doesn't look, you know, it's not snow laden I mean, we don't even know what month it is anymore. It doesn't look like February, but maybe it still is. I don't know. It just doesn't seem, you know, and they walk into what seems like a wheat field that hasn't been harvested yet, but is grown, which would make it summer. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And then we get the final scene. that's narrated by Erica. Yeah. And she, you know, says that this war like in time like all wars ended and I come to this place often though no one else does. Yeah. <laughs> so supposedly this is the what we're seeing is is the rock cliff or the rock uh, outcropping where our heroes wrote the names of their fallen comrades
0: yeah although it's really just the names of everybody who was in the wolverines like, right because because we see we see jed do this after the helicopter attack right it's a very brief scene where jed's carving all that all of their names into the rocks including the ones who died and the ones who were alive still also on the rock is an american flag waving and
1: a little fence post so it looks like now this is like kind of like a national monument kind of thing yeah. It's actually being taken care of by the Park Service. And there's a little uh, headstone with a plaque on it. It says Partisan Rock. And the inscription that's narrated by Erica and it says In the early days of World War III, guerrillas, mostly children, placed the names of their lost upon this rock they fought here alone and gave up their lives so that this nation shall not perish from this earth
0: this nation shall not perish from the earth is in quotations because that's a quote she also mentions that she never saw the the two brothers again that's right we know why that is because they're dead
1: (laughs) (laughs) and then it goes boom end credits
0: (laughs) yep end credits Again, very short scene. Like the last three or four scenes, they end so abruptly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was Red Dawn. Yep. What I noticed in my rewatch is the importance of the music,
1: uh-huh.
0: and I hadn't really picked up on it as much the first time through. But the music is kind of classically scored, right? It's you can tell there's there's some sort of composer who's got the film up and he's got a classical orchestra it's not a band orchestra <laughs> i can't <laughs> want to say band it's like it's not a band it's an orchestra he's got a classical orchestra and they're putting the music to it and i think it's really really very well done i think that's one of the things that makes this movie stand out from a lot of the other kind of 80s movies. And I think when you think back to like 80s and 90s movies that are really, really good, Mm -hmm. the music really comes to the forefront. Like you think about Back to the Future 1, it's a very strange movie, but the music is so good. (laughs) (laughs) That it's not noticeable. Like that's how it is. It, it, It supports the
1: movie without making you think about it.
0: Right. And there were so many good, especially... Once things started to fall apart, Uh where you had this sort of mix of kind of hopeful, soldierly, you know, military music combined with this sort of desperate. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. A suspenseful music. And they interwined it, you know, even within single set pieces where you would have these notes, these sort of military notes, and then you'd have abrupt, tense notes come in for a couple of seconds, They we'd go back and it would switch back and forth. And these were usually in the scenes in between the fighting scenes. One of the things I noticed most of the action scenes. We're in silence. Mm -hmm. The entirety of Jed and Matt's like last stand or last action is in silence. The only noises are the explosions, the gunfire, and the yelling of the Russians. And the only dialogue is when Jed says, you lose, Kami. You know, that's it. Mm -hmm. It's a very quiet juxtaposition with the very loud explosions, (laughs) but it's a very quiet scene. Uh, And that's true of a lot of the battle scenes. You know, we sort of get that montage piece in the middle of the crescendo, where the you have the battle scenes occurring to music. But for the most part, for the rest of the movie, in the beginning, and in the end, there's not a lot of music happening during the battle scenes, and I think that adds to sort of the realism of the war feeling of it. Yeah. Beyond that, I thought I really thought they did a, an amazing job showcasing all of the horrors of war. We talked about all the scenes up front where the death of Robert's dad and Robert's family and the death of the brothers' families and Erica and Tony having to be smuggled out and that sort of stuff. I think they did it well in the sense that it's a movie that's available to a
1: larger audience. I mean, it's not like those super dark, super realistic almost ex- excessively gory war movies. I mean, there's violence and there's blood, but it's not horrible, gut-spilling everywhere kind of war movie, you know? Right. Like I said, it's something that you could watch a little more often, because if you watch real like authentic war movies, there's only so much your mind could take of watching that. Right. Yeah, it's m- much more entertaining, I guess, is the
0: word. But you still get, what it gives you is you still get those terrible situations yeah, that all kind of guerrilla warfare type folks end up being in, like where they have the Russian prisoner, quote unquote, you know, what they do with him, the, the yelling match between Matt and Jed about, you know, what makes us different than them. The the thought being that, you know, we don't just kill people indiscriminately and Jed being like, no, what makes us different is we live well, here. here and he shoots the guy. And then Danny screaming, like, we can't kill Daryl. We can't do that. He's one of us. And then Robert just shooting it. We get a view into the fact that after they've been scattered out of their base, they were trapped or baited pretty easily with you know, apples and oranges. So, like hunger, effectively, right? We've got Tony's kind of suicide—not really suicide, because she's dead before that point—but potential, you know, suicide killing of of the enemy. Well, her booby-trapped body, right? That if you know, in her death, she was still going to take them out with her, <laughs> right? And that's something for World War Two. That was a big problem with the Japanese because they would do that constantly. And they would do that when they were still alive. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was like, I'm not going to be taken prisoner. I'd rather roll over to a grenade and kill both of us kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. And the Japanese had like a no prisoner policy. And then sort of the dissolution of the group and the realization that Jed and his brother Matt were going to go on the suicide mission, at least you know from Jed's perspective, to try and save these other two people. These kind of like this is sort of the the horrificness of war. I like the fact that they showed it all, and they did it in a way that was not that was accessible. Like you said, like uh-huh. it it wasn't ultra gory. It wasn't no cursing. Wasn't even ultra suspenseful. Right. They just gave us those situations. Yeah. So this was probably what would have happened. Kind of
1: a deal. <laughs> that our heroes, you know, got to be heroes for three quarters of the movie. You know, four fifths of the movie, and then ultimately, you know, these heroes. Came back to reality. (laughs) Right. But because this is American movies, there's always a silver lining. There's always something happy to look at at the end. And that's two of them got to escape. Not the two biggest heroes, because ultimately our biggest heroes have to have that heroic sacrifice. But two of our heroes (laughs) got to live to tell the tale.
0: Yeah all right let's move into final impressions of the fat man like i said at the beginning this is a classic
1: 1980s movie it's classic anti-communist rhetoric kind of stuff that the most red-blooded american boys will defend this country if it has to and but i mean the casting was good the script for the most part is good uh, you know, the characters are good though. You know, they're not completely flushed out. But, you know, this is kind of like a high B movie. You know, you can't say like this is a an A movie, even for the nineteen eighties, I wouldn't say this was a an A movie. It's a good cult movie. It's a good war movie, you know? There's stuff in it for the action person to like. And what's strange is that there really isn't any romance in it. There's hints of it, but there's no romance in it. So you don't have these awkward romances going on, you know, in the middle of war. (laughs) Cinematography, basic, nothing earth-shattering. Like you said, the music was good enough to, to support the movie without really being noticed. Pace was... For a B-movie, it's great pacing. Yeah. <laughs> then, you know, <laughs> It's just, you know, got a little strange to the end because it was going at a pace and then all of a sudden we're racing to the end. But the racing into the end is a lot of the action uh, instead of like racing through a lot of the drama. And that's where really this movie keeps you in it is that even at the end, there's action Except for the very last scenes, which is your, you know, your epilogue, you know, the the light at the end of the tunnel, the happy ending that we all wanted. I love that there are so many actors in this that, in the end, became really big stars. You know, Jennifer Grey, Charlie Sheen, Patrick Swayze, and Leah Thompson. I think it's uh, funny. This was the f- first movie that Patrick Swayze and uh, Jennifer Grey were in together, and they hated each other then. <laughs> And so, you know, the other actors like like Charlie Sheen and and, uh, Leah Thompson, when they found out that they uh, got casted together for Dirty Dancing, were all laughing because they're like, oh, boy, this is going to be great because they hate each other then. They're going to hate each other now. (laughs) And that's kind of like, you know, one of the the worst kept secrets in Hollywood was how those two really just did not like each other.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know that to be honest <laughs> oh, oh yeah that was like a big thing
1: about you know how great they were in dirty dancing yet they hated each other <laughs> well, good actors right <laughs> i will say i was just thinking about this uh, in that in, uh that last scene with jed and maddie there's a certain sad irony to the fact that of patrick swayze and charlie sheen that patrick swayze was the first one to pass away from cancer and charlie sheen's still with us you know somehow Yeah, somehow <laughs> Because, you know, for all we know, Patrick Swayze, at least if he did bad things, none of us found out about it, (laughs) you know, yeah. whereas Charlie Sheen just openly just bragged about it. But
0: uh, yeah, it's
1: one of my favorite 1980s movies.
0: It just feels like a really good accidental movie. Yeah. The director grabbed a script and went into it with a, you know, not a huge budget, but enough to pay for some tanks and some helicopter flyovers and. And, you know, get some actors to say some stuff and, you know, slap it together with some action. We got ourselves a movie and it turned out like the scenes, the dialogues, the pacing, most of the plot. There were several times where I had to push the I believe button, but it wasn't overwhelming. And it just worked. It worked as a movie on pretty much every level. The characters all worked. It was believable enough. It's a movie where you root for the good guys even though sometimes they do questionable things. Even Robert, who you see kind of transform from this kid to this quote unquote monster because he shoots Daryl, you still understand him. Like, you know how he got there. Uh I think it's a good showcase of what invasion looks like to someone on the ground. And that's something we as Americans just don't know. Like we've never, we've never been invaded. Like it it just doesn't happen because it's, so atrociously hard <laughs> to pull <laughs> off it was a real concern during world war ii oh, it was it was you know and, and there's all the always those scenarios where you know hitler ends up taking over britain well it
1: was mostly the japanese not pushing when once they hit pearl harbor
0: well they couldn't like if like <laughs> you look at all the the i mean the reality of it was Going from Pearl Harbor to California is almost just as long as going from Japan to to Hawaii. So them trying to make a real run on California would have been dang near impossible and in the end wouldn't have worked. The Japanese strategy was all about taking over Southeast Asia and then hurting America enough that America would come to the treaty table and just grant japan most of those lands that they'd taken over mm. that was the goal unfortunately they attacked pearl harbor the way they did and because of that america's goal became unconditional surrender which really changed the face of the war because warfare prior to that had always been of the nature whereby if two great powers got into a conflict then the end of the conflict was okay, we trade lands, you know, you won the war, so you get these colonies and this tribute or, or whatever, because that's effectively what we saw coming out of World War One, which, you know, inevitably caused World War Two. As <laughs> I can't remember, one of the famous French generals who walked away from the Treaty of Versailles and said, this wasn't a peace treaty, it was a 20-year armistice. And he was dead right, <laughs> literally 20 years later. <laughs> yeah. German, Germany invades Poland and then swings around to France. Again, like I was saying, it's it's just us being invaded and what you know an American would do if his land was invaded and what would happen. Whether or not that would actually play out like Red Dawn, I kind of think it would. There would be people like that, for sure. It kind of gives us gives Americans a an outlet in that respect, a way to imagine what would happen.
1: This is just one of the many movies in the 80s that apparently was trying to showcase the power of the American teenager. Because so many 1980s classics, I mean, all the John Hughes movies centered around high school kids. One of my other favorite 1980s movies movies—it's a B-movie is Iron Eagle, you know. Uh, American high school senior, you know, takes an F-16 to go save his dad from a Middle Eastern country, you know. and <laughs> yeah. um, You know, this one, a band of high school kids. You go fight the Ruskies and so many more movies like that, you know, the 1980s. So this was just right up there with the long list of 1980s teenager power kind of thing, which I guess was... <laughs> hollywood trying to stick up for teenagers because i guess then you know teenagers were getting a bad rap
0: as they always do <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> but i mean it's not like but so the funnier part is is like nowadays and even to a certain degree well and even and it's really kind of starting in the 90s it was all about teenagers having bad behavior and finding a way to make it good behavior you know <laughs> Yeah. Where the ends justify the means kind of movies for teenagers. Right. Right. Whereas, you know, in the 80s, it's teenagers are misunderstood. They're smarter, more mature, and they're people that you haven't recognized yet. That's the thing about this movie. It's just one another aspect of that. The John Hughes movies that we watched before were about the psyche of kids, you know, on the maturity and you know right. how they deal with emotions. And this one's about how these teenagers can defend your country. You know, they can, yeah. you know, they can stand up in a moment that you need them to.
0: Right. And that was, you know, America came out of a decade, you know, in the seventies and the Vietnam war and a lot of questions about, you know, would we, would the draft ever get used again? How would America fight in the future? And this was kind of a, if there was a real need, we would rise rise to the occasion kind of a concept. But yeah, that was Red Dawn, folks. I think it took us only six episodes to get through it. (laughs) (laughs) It's par for the course for us. So by the time this comes out, we're going to have a couple of polls. One for our patrons to choose a uh, movie we're going to try and review in 2023 and one for the general audience. If you're a patron, you get to vote in both. If you're not a patron, then you only get to vote in one. So, you know, become a patron so you can tell us what you want <laughs> us to review.
1: I will say, kind of like as a last little note, I talked about this being a B-movie, and if you wanted more evidence that Red Dawn was a B-movie, there was a, what was it that you got me? It was a 25th or 30th year anniversary? Yeah, yeah. Edition, where one of the features of the movie was a body counter yes so for all the seriousness that we've tried to instill about this movie it's got that classic 1980s uh violence in it and there's a version out there that has a body counter too yeah uh but yes uh please become a patreon member vote tell us what you want us to see uh we're gonna try to break out of this uh 80s habit though uh i'm addicted to the 80s because the 80s was the greatest decade ever
0: i mean i didn't i wasn't even we neither of us were alive for- for the whole thing, and yet it was still awesome. That's how awesome it was. Yeah, that's true. Ronald Reagan was president for almost all of it, nineteen eighty 1980 through nineteen eighty-nine <laughs> or eighty-one. <laughs> I can't do math. Shut up. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate everybody listening. We do have a website, patenthefatman.com, as well as Facebook, Pat and the fat man. Something on Twitter and Instagram now. YouTube, Pat and the Fat Man. So
1: Twitter, uh the Fat Man, that's uh Fatman1238. That is the the Twitter handle we're using. And now Instagram, uh Pat and the Fat Man. Pat underscore the and underscore the underscore the underscore fat underscore man
0: (laughs) oh you actually Um, split up batman yeah because on on all of our other stuff it's fat (laughs) man like just one (laughs) word (laughs) okay good i got got creative (laughs) as long as we're not consistent that's the the important part no we're not going to become one of those people (laughs) (laughs) we're not famous or rich enough yet like to become a patron Head to our website, patenthefatman.com and click on the Become a Patron button. It will take you to Patreon, where you can sign up to be a fan, a big fan, a really big fan, whatever version of fan you want to be. We would appreciate the help paying our editor. If you think our show is worth maybe just a dollar a month, we will take it. Whatever you got, we do appreciate it, because making these episodes is not free. Well, I'm Pat. And I'm the Fat Man. Stay classy.
1: Dasvidanya.
0: is that blood light nope it's the bat blue the blue bat blue you racist canadian mother <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, i mean you know i couldn't find a good old communist beer so i mean i thought canada was a close second
0: that's a solid close second they're pretty communist
1: <laughs> <Count me> bastards <laughs>